My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What is cracking, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. Today, we have a fantastic and amazing guest. Her name is Nadine Crocker. She's making huge waves in the fight to stop suicide with her amazing films. Please welcome my friend, the one and only Nadine Crocker. Nadine, how are you? Ooh, hi. Good. How are you? Good to see you. So good to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Let me show me your nails. That's wild. <laughs> Cow print. <laughs> for those of you listening on audio only, you're missing out. Go check the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines for the video so you can see Nadine's nails. They are epic. Okay. Um, so let's let's get right into it. Let's 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 share with the world your amazing story. Uh, Nadine, you know, we know you were born in Nashville, Tennessee raised in Fresno, California, before picking up at 16 years old and heading to the big city of Los Angeles, California, to pursue your filmmaking dreams and visions. Uh, in your early 20s, Nadine, it's known that you struggle with past trauma and depression soon after attempting suicide. You had your directorial debut in the award-winning film Continue, which is taking over film festivals and screens near and far. Uh, it already won a Best Feature Film, and Nadine, congratulations, you won that and a Best Actress, and you are just getting started. Yes, round of applause for Nadine <laughs> Crocker, for sure. Um, Nadine, you're honest about the fact that you still struggle with regular chronic thoughts of suicide and depression. Your grandfather took his life, and this film, Continue, is a meddling of your story of surviving your attempt and your father's struggle of healing after the loss of his father, your grandfather. Mm -hmm. Multiple members of your family have lived with depression, um, and you and your dad carry a bond together. You build, re rebuild muscle cars, <laughs> and tell everyone right now what your favorite is to rebuild. Uh, Chevy uh, Chevelle. Chevy Chevelle. What a classic. Yes. What a classic. Nadine, welcome to the Hindsight's podcast. It is so great to have you on. I'm so glad to have you with us. We got to meet um, a few months back in Los Angeles. Um, we did some video work together uh, for, for my, one of my wife's partnering companies, Veza, which means connection. Um, and you came on and you shared your story there, which was amazing. Uh, and then we got to meet and talk turkey about film and all things that you're working on, which is really cool. Um, I have to ask you, just to start to kick this off, really, let's go back in time. I want to know what what was your early childhood and your adolescence like? If you can break down two stories about that those time periods. What would they be? Oh, two two stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think just going back to my childhood period, um, I've always been a creative, um, and I've always I think that that made me prone for the. The dramatics, if you will, um, you know, and and I always had really big emotions, and um, you know that wasn't easy being, uh, you know, young and having 
such a big surge of emotions and so many things going on inside my brain and kind of always feeling like I didn't really have a place to belong. You know, I was, I loved drama and like, was a, you know, a drama nerd and, and loved doing theater and different things like that. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I never really fit in a perfect box, so I didn't really know where I belonged. And, um, I was, um, I was pretty heavily bullied and, and disliked when I was young, uh, you know, I try and think back of that time and, and kind of try and replay, like, what was my part in it? What, what was it, you know, essentially that, that kind of put me in that outcast place. Um, you know, and I, and I think there's, it's a mixture of things. I think it's, you know, half of why I'm so open about where I am now is as youth, we aren't very honest about how we're doing or where we come from. And we're all kind of putting on the facade that we're okay. And, you know, all of those things. So, um, you know, my youth and my younger years were really difficult. And that I think is part of why, you know, my family let me leave high school at 16 and move to Los Angeles, you know, because they knew that I think they knew deep down, I probably wasn't going to make it in Fresno. And I definitely wasn't going to make it if I didn't just go and put my all into something, you know, and, and that for me was the arts. Um, you know, but I, I guess one of the stories I'll go back to too is, you know, like coming from Fresno, California, it was very different when I grew up there than it is now. I feel like now it's like a small Sacramento. It's so beautiful. And it really is such a beautiful place to grow up. You know, I am sure for a lot of people as well. Um, but I've been in more fist fights than most girls that you've met. I've been jumped by five girls. I've, you know, it's, it's just it was difficult there, um, for me personally growing up. So, you know, I, I, I'm really happy that I did it the way that I did. And then I escaped at 16 because I kind of got to figure out who the hell I was, you know, without the eyes of everyone watching from high school, which I think most people would admit high school is really hard and scary and, and all of those things. So, you know, it can be brutal. My my high school years certainly were my grade school years were even worse. Um, But I, I totally empathize with what you went through. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was kind of what your, your childhood was like your, and your early adolescence, you moved straight to Los Angeles. After the move to Los Angeles, uh, what was your life like living at 16 in a city that you, you, you were just getting to know? It was, it was lonely, if I'm honest. Like when you're 16, it's really hard to find places to go make friends, you know, and most of the people that I was meeting, um, because I worked in a lot of restaurants and and basically like what my beginning years really looked like was me having three or four jobs or however many jobs it took to actually be able to afford to stay in Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I was working a lot of jobs and, um, outside of that and acting class and auditioning and just doing everything I could to pursue my dreams at that time. So you know, when I think back to those beginning years, the real word that comes to mind is isolation. Like I didn't, I, it was hard to know how to make friends. And I was constantly like, honestly trying to find a fake ID so that I could just actually go out with my friends that I was meeting at the restaurants. Cause we all served tables together, but they were all over 21 and I was not. So, you know, it just kind of was hard because you couldn't go out with the people you did know. And I didn't know how to meet people my own age. So, you know, it was, it was lonely in those beginning days. Um, 
and also exciting and and thrilling and terrifying all at once you know also living alone when you're 16 it's like I'm constantly convinced there's like ghosts in every closet so you know what I mean it's just like even now you're like there's a ghost everywhere yeah, literally. I, I still sleep with like a nightlight on <laughs> at the age of 33. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, to, to, to go back to your, your earlier point in, in that response, the loneliness. Mm-hmm. They say now today that loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 16 cigarettes a day on your body, that it has that, it has that equivalent of, of, of damaging your body's cells and your body's physio physiologically, physically, uh, even mentally and emotionally, loneliness can be, you know, for lack of a better term, crippling. Um, how did you, how did you come from that loneliness uh, into, into feeling like you, you belong? Um, well, so that's this year that I feel no, like, honestly, no, it, no, it's, no really, yeah, it, it really, you know what I can say with full confidence that I don't feel like that happened until my thirties. Um, I think that my suicide attempt and honestly, tr- truthfully becoming a mother taught me so much and made me finally realize that I wasn't going to get everyone to like me. I I had to stop pretending I was anything I wasn't and just be who I am. And my people would find me and like who that person is, or they wouldn't, you know, but for so many years, I think I just, because of acting also, like they tell you like fake it till you make it, or like be what you think they want you to be so that you can get the job. And like, you know, so I was always trying to pretend I was like charming and flirtatious and fun and the edgy chick with tattoos that like just doesn't give a shit and is so strong and this and that. And like inside, actually, I was lonely and I was sad and I didn't have the confidence that I pretended I had. And, you know, all of those things. And what you just said about loneliness, that doesn't surprise me like whatsoever, because I feel like through those years, it was like my health was always at stake. I was in and out of the hospital. I was, you know, I was like falling apart mentally and physically. So it doesn't surprise me that that loneliness and that isolation manifests like through our actual cells in our body and that like deterioration from those emotions. Like I, I absolutely believe that, you know, so it (laughs) really does play a pivotal role in in our, our true well-being or our wellness, if you will. Um, okay, if you if you're willing and able, and I don't want to I don't want to push you any place you don't want to go, but can you share with the audience, the hindsight's audience, some of the traumas you experienced and how they how they changed your whole life? Yeah. Um... I mean, where does it begin? I mean, I mentioned kind of about the bullying and about the rumors and the things that would follow around at high school, you know, um, most of which not true, um, which made it really hard to make friends and to pretty much constantly feel like I didn't belong. Um, Not being like anyone else in my family made it really hard, like even relatives, I feel like didn't really know what to do with me. So they just kind of avoided me. So I didn't really have anybody friends or any of that or outside of my immediate family, like really anyone. Um, And I 
you know, I, it's funny. Like I, I, I want to be honest here, you know, with you, because one of my favorite things about you is just like, you are someone that you can be honest with, but you know, I grew up, I've, I've always kind of kept it quiet about my home life because, you know, both my parents are still alive and you kind of feel like you're like, you know, I come from a family of like secrets. We're supposed to pretend that we're okay. And there wasn't problems at home and, and all of that, but I grew up in a pretty, um, volatile household. There was a lot of struggle. My grandfather's suicide really destroyed my father and he had so much rage and anger and he had no idea, I think, how to really deal with it. And he came from a very traumatic, very abusive upbringing. I mean, him and all of his family did. And you know, I think that's the story for a lot of our parents, like, you know, that ancestral trauma, just like they did the best they could, but it, they couldn't help, but, you know, pass some of that along. And, and so it was hard. It, my parents fought and there was screaming and breaking of furniture and, you know, iced teas being thrown at the wall or, you know, just a lot of bad shit. I've, I've, I, you know, it's like funny. You don't like know how to, how to say some of the trauma, but you know, I've, when you've watched your own family members, like hold a gun to their own head in front of you as a, as a growing adult, like going to take their own life in front of you. That's that sticks with you. That messes with you, you know? And, and I guess in some way kind of made me feel so unimportant important, you know, like, wait, you brought me into this world. You raised me. Now you want to just abandon me here. I already don't know what the hell I'm doing on this planet, you know? So there's just a lot. Um, you know, I was, I was diagnosed with severe PTSD and it kind of all made sense. Like, you know, I, I didn't know that it, if you hadn't been to war, that like, that was still a thing, but some of our childhood memories are war They're, you know, they're, similar and, and we survive them just the same. And we're still trying to figure our own shit out and how to like, you know, deal with that and, you know, moving on past a lot of my childhood stuff. And then I also suffered with alcoholism, um, and using drugs to try and numb uh, away the pain. Truthfully, what I, what I like to call myself is I was a chemist, how many drinks to forget it all. And to be the fun one, the outgoing and, and clever. And then how many is one drink too many to where I actually unreleased it all. And then I just had all of these emotions that I had no idea what to do with or how to hide in most of my suicide attempts, because, um, I'll be honest, the one that the movie is based on is the one I got caught, you know, and that I got taken in and, and all of those things, but there were many more that, you know, if it wasn't for the person that I was with at that time, like, I don't know that I'd be alive today. You know, there was a lot of really, really dark moments. Um, you know, so getting sober six years sober now today, like that was a huge factor <laughs> for six me. Years sober. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. That's Thank amazing. you. I know October will be seven years. So wow. that's, it's just like beyond me, you know, cause when you're first starting out, you don't, you don't know that you can collect any kind of time. You don't know that you can deal with that kind of pain on your own. Um, you know, it's, it's terrifying, you know, and just to go a little bit further into like the trauma without talking too much about it all, but I'm also a sexual assault survivor. And, you know, so when you've had your power taken from you in that way, it's really hard to come back from. And, and then like the guilt of not coming forward sooner, 
like stuck with me, you know, and, and, and that guilt you take on and all of, you know, the pain that comes along with that and trying to like kind of reclaim your life and who you are after that. And, and, um, yeah. And to, to tell you the truth, like, I mean, the list could probably continue to go on and on, but, you know, only through my age now, you know, are a lot of these things that used to be super painful to try and talk about, like, can I actually see the beauty in it? Because all of those events led me to exactly who I am today. And it made me the empath that I am today. And, and I believe that, you know, God did that because now there's not a person I can't relate to through their struggles, through their pain. I've been through a lot of shit in my life. And, you know, sometimes I think it was part of the process so I could help relate and maybe help other people because I think my mission on this planet is to help, you know, to try and leave this place a little bit better than it was when I came in. <laughs> well, that was amazing because that, that much I know to be true after meeting you, uh, those couple of times getting to know you a bit, hearing your story and these pieces that I have, and then learning about this film continue seeing the film and having it blow me and my wife away. Um, about how, how, how I guess viscerally and probably powerful it was just to be sitting watching it. Um, first of all, when did you know filmmaking was your call? Um, when I was very little, honestly, I always tell the story. Um, I was watching, my dad was a country singer and that's why I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. And I would watch his music videos and I wanted to be the girl in the videos. And without knowing it, I always thought I just wanted to be an actor. But without knowing it, I was creating like, I'd hear songs and I'd be like, oh, this is the story of this music, or like of this song. And the music video would be like me walking and I'd be going through. And like, so I just thought that that's like, was me dreaming of acting. But really only now do I realize as I'm creating visions for films and writing films I'm like oh that's what you've literally been doing since you were a little girl you know so I I now realize filmmaking and and the arts have been with me since very young like I'd say probably like five I mean I was dreaming of being in those those videos um yeah so young <laughs> it's amazing um I, I had my first want to be an actor and a filmmaker at six. So we share that in common. I, I saw, I, I think I saw um, a Jim Carrey movie and I was like, I'm all in, you know? Yep. This just got me. Um, when did you choose to call your film continue? Why did you choose to call your film continue? Why? Well, I mean, I get it, but I want to hear you. Yes, exactly. No, essentially because my prayer was that this film would help people to continue. Yeah, to live another day, to put one foot in front of the other and just give one more day. It's kind of another way to say this. Yep. Year more. Exactly. And every day after that, just keep on continuing. I love that. It's it's so perfect in one word. Um, when did you realize? you wanted to use your experience in film and cinematography to actually help prevent suicide. Um, so I really realized through, I was writing these scenes from my life. It's kind of to just like work through some of the emotion, I think, and probably the trauma and also like, 
I don't know, share part of my story with this room of other actors and creators that I really trusted at the time. And the more and more that I put up these scenes, the more and more people would come up to me or message me afterwards and kind of tell me their story or their struggles. And as that happened more and more, and they, you know, asked me to write scenes or to participate in my scenes, you know, wanting to dive into their own traumas or their own pain, like through these scenes. And then I started writing, like putting people would tell me their story and be like, okay, well, this is my character's trauma and this is your character. You know, we were all working through our trauma kind of together. And that's when I realized I'm like, holy shit, through talking about my story, what if I could help others talk about theirs? What if we could open up a conversation that's normally so taboo or closed off from the world where we all pretend we're okay. But like, what if by me admitting I'm not okay and I have this pain and these struggles what if that could help people? And, and that started the journey (laughs) and trying to find the confidence to write it. And it took me years even after that to, to finally have the courage, I think, to put it out and, and to share it with people. Wow. Okay. So you knew, you knew when you wanted to be in film or, or whether it's acting or making movies, you, you realized that you wanted to use film as a, as a, as a medium to, to change lives, potentially help save lives. What is your favorite aspect of filmmaking? Or do you have one? Favorite aspect. I mean, I literally, I love every aspect of it. I've escaped through movies pretty much my whole life. So like, I love everything about it. I love hearing people laugh. I love that we can take people out of their own life for a few moments and put them in the seat of somebody else. And the real reason that I chose film and that I continue to choose film is because it's like a proven fact, basically, that it is the best way to um, enable people's empathy because it doesn't matter who it, whose journey you're on. When you are watching a character's journey, you root for them, even if our lead is a villain. It's like <laughs> Venom uh, or, you know, I always use the Marvel films. They're going into villains now. And normally you would be like, no, the villains aren't who we want to talk about. We want to talk about the superheroes. But actually, it doesn't matter. If you are on their journey, you still root for them, even if they're this quote unquote bad guy, you know? So that is how I knew because I felt like, especially with continue, if I could, if I could get people to feel empathy for someone going through this struggle of depression and suicidal thought, maybe I could make them understand in a small way or, or see their relative who struggles in for the first time in a really clear light. Like, you know, using me as an example, just because that's the easiest way to do it. Like maybe my family would watch it and go, oh my God, for once I really understand, you know, because I have whole monologues, because which actually came from like my mom going, I just want to understand how you could try and take your own life. And I just had this, this moment where I said to her, it's like an alcoholic. They're always going to want to drink. It's just, it's there. And a girl with bulimia is always going to think about throwing up after a big steak dinner. But with sadness, it just has this way of creeping in even over the smallest thought. Right. So that's the monologue in the, in the movie, but it was an actual real moment with my mother trying to explain. And I was like, well, what if I use all these moments from my life and I can show the people in the audience who maybe have a family member or maybe have their own struggles, like let them feel like they're identified through a character for once, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
maybe show the world a different side of depression and suicide that they haven't seen, you know, and get rid of that fucking myth of like, it's a choose to be happy. You just got to make the choice. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not as easy as that. I would love to just be able to choose happiness, you know, but sometimes what that looks like, that choice from happiness is just to get myself out of bed, you know? This next question, I just, I, I, I felt he asked if I felt it was an important one. Uh, was there any point in, in, in the process up to making the film or during making the film that you second guessed the decision to make the film? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> I like, if I'm honest, you know, because I think that we have to be right. The whole purpose of this film is to be honest and to show behind the curtain. I, as a director, you're really scared. Like I didn't want people to like not want to insure me to not, to not, um, believe that I'm like healthy enough to let, you know, because there is this misconception like, oh, this person feels that. So they're crazy or they have this or that, you know, and they want to label or something that maybe they don't understand or they can't identify with. Um, so there was, there was certainly film that, I mean, film fear that uh, maybe it wouldn't be accepted or it wasn't ready to be accepted or maybe people weren't going to be ready to talk about it because I had been pre-warned a lot about making this film. I had been told that no one wants to talk about mental health and no one wants to talk about suicide. And it's a very taboo subject and it's going to be really hard for you to get this out and into the world. And I actually had offers to make this film in a much bigger way if I was willing to change some of my key things about the ending or different things, you know, which most people don't know the ending. You, you have a little inside scoop, you know, but, um, and I wasn't willing to because my whole message is give it one more day, make the choice to live. And I also didn't feel like the people battling out there would just would be satisfied with the pretty girl getting everything she wanted in the end. And actually life was just perfect. You know, I tried to show that even after that survival, there is still struggle and pain. Like it's yeah. not just like she survives and like, woohoo, it's all done, you know? But yeah, there was, there was definitely fear um, to put it out, but there was also support which I'm really grateful. And, and it helped me find my people, you know, like without that film, I would have never found you or Margaret, you know, and, and so many of the amazing people I have in my life. So I'm really glad I did. <laughs> Good. Well, we're really glad you did too. The movie is phenomenal. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, viewing or watching, make sure you subscribe, but definitely check out Nadine's film continue. It's, it's an amazing piece of work that's, that's changing lives. Um, now tell me, tell, tell all of us about, your nonprofit continue on. Yeah, it's still in development. I'm trying to get the everything I need to create the actual nonprofit aspect of it. It's a really expensive process, which I know you know very well. <laughs> yeah, and it's like one C three is no easy task. No, and after just raising <laughs> a, a lot of money for a film, then going to a lot of investors and be like, "So, thanks for that. You want to also fund my nonprofit?" <laughs> so it's been um, it's been a challenge, but um, I'm in the process of still, you know, trying to trying to create the nonprofit aspect and 
my entire goal for the continue on, um, foundation is to actually pretty much create a subsidy that, uh, people can donate to that gets people and our youth, um, the mental health services they need. And I got that idea basically because only recently, um, like more recent than most people would expect. I was like, okay, I've been in therapy forever. AA, all the things, you know, I really want to revisit going to psychiatrist, revisit maybe medication or figure out what is the best thing for me because I had really adverse effects previously. Um, so, you know, finding that, that balance is really hard. And so I kind of had to do it because I had had adverse effects and it actually made me more suicidal for a period of time. And and I had to find my balance, but I was like, I want to go back and I couldn't afford it. I could not. uh, uh, Most people have this misconception or like that, you know, maybe I don't have financial. No, we all have financial struggles. And when I was looking into it in Los Angeles, it was so expensive to find a psychiatrist that I could go to. And it made me realize if I'm having these struggles, how many people out there and how much youth who have no idea where to go and how to get these services and maybe don't have the like the support from their parents to do this how many people are out there who need help to get these services so my goal is to kind of almost be like an insurance company like i have doctors that i work with and we get um you know we take care of the the fees and we get people the mental health services that they need. Um, and, you know, I also dream of kind of traveling and, and doing these workshops where we use the arts to talk about mental health and our emotions. And, you know, cause I know personally, sometimes writing a monologue or writing for someone else to say is a lot easier than telling someone, Hey, I'm not okay. So mm-hmm. I want to try and use the arts to help people tell their truths, you know? So there's a lot of goals and, and I'm on a mission. <laughs> You're on a mission. You will get all those goals achieved. I know that because I know you enough to know that when you want to do something, you do it. So yes. that, that, that part is going to be awesome when it all comes together. Um, so I have to ask you this. How do you, how do you protect your peace of mind and maintain your own personal boundaries, um, which so many people struggle with when your, your, your life is so out there and, and you're such a public figure? You know, I don't know. I think this is a good one that I'm kind of struggling with right now, like finding that balance. You know, I've gotten really good through extensive therapy. I know you and I are both very big fans of therapy. So I'm getting so much better at boundaries, especially with people in my um, life. It does get a little muddy and it gets a little painful. And I've actually asked Margaret a few times for advice of like, how do you balance when people are coming to you for advice or for different things? When I'm not a a therapist, I want to make sure people are safe. I don't have all the answers half the time. I'm still figuring things out, you know? So I've kind of just been really honest about my story, but also the things that I don't really know how to say yet, or how to be, you know, like I've reserved those that I don't, you know, so I'm, it's baby steps into how do you let out a lot of your stuff and, uh, in a really safe way, um, while also feeling safe, you know, and feeling like, you know, because I have a very active mind, like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I spin out a lot. I I'll, I'll rethink something I said, maybe on this podcast, like for hours after, like, why did you say it like that? Did you have to, you know, so like, I am really, yes. Yeah. 
yeah, it's this, it's a spinning cycle, you know? So I've gotten really, um, I've gotten a lot better at taking a breath before I answer things, <laughs> checking in with myself with like, how do you feel about that? How would you say that? Do you feel safe saying that, you know, and, and then proceeding forward at my own comfort level, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's an ongoing thing, you know, but I can tell you as scary as it was to kind of put my story out there. Um, I just feel really grateful at the feedback I've heard and all of the messages and the people like, you know, we, we were at a festival this weekend and, you know, a lot of my time, like my husband actually asked me this, he's like, you know, I've, I've always wondered, is it, is it tiring or like hard sometimes to have so many people come up to you and want to tell you their stories afterwards and want your advice and these different things. And, and I'm sure you get this more than anybody. And like, there are those moments where, you know, it is, but for the most part, it's just like, I feel so lucky that, I set out to try and help people and be honest. And I'm hearing back in real time that what I did, did make a difference, you know? Makes a huge difference. And when you, you said this earlier, when you tell your story, people tell you theirs. Yeah. And whether that's through the medium of film or personally saying the words of your story, people still come up to you and tell you theirs. And I look at it as, as, as much as, you know, you know, when there are a hundred people in line, and you're wiped out from what you just did and your, your energy is spent. There's something to be said about how that line of people fuels that energy back in you. And they tell you their story, even if they're painful stories, they tell you their story and you feel that empathy and you feel that lack of judgment and you feel that wonderment you get from someone caring enough to share with you their darkest truths, um, their deepest pains. There's something, it's odd, but there's something special about that. There's yeah. it, 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 it's, it, you, you either can look at it as a drain or you can look at it as a gift and hold gratitude for it. And that's how I look at it. I look at it as a gift. I hold gratitude for it. And I, move, I, I hold that gratitude inside that pain, which makes it all so powerful uh, of an experience. And there's some of these stories people tell you that you, you never forget. Yeah. You never forget. They never leave your mind. The next time you go to a, a talk or a show, a film screening or whatever it is, you, you, you remember that story and you try to impact someone in that new audience in the same way. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I, I mean, I can only imagine. I, I mean, you've been doing this for so many years and really just being so brave, you know, but I, I can say, yeah, it does feel like a blessing. It actually feels like for once it all makes sense. Like why I've had depression, you know, all of those things, like, what is that, that quote, you can't connect the, uh, the dots looking forward, only looking back, you know, and now I stand here and like, I, I talk to these people and I'm just like, man, I feel like this has all actually really been a part of my journey. Like this is exactly how it was supposed to be. So I could be standing here in this exact moment and be talking to this person and hearing this story, you know, it, it's a part of your, your, your moving purpose. Yeah. Party moving purpose. Okay, two more questions and we'll wrap this all up. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self today, right now? What would you tell your 18-year-old self? Or your 16-year-old self who moved to Los Angeles? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's a really good question. I would tell my 16 and 18-year-old self and 27 and 30 and 33-year-old <laughs> self. No. Um be yourself. 
stop, stop trying to pretend that you're okay. Stop trying to be what anybody else wants you to be. What I've discovered today, uh, as I'm sitting here with you right now, that I can tell you younger self, um, the moment you start actually being who you are and sharing your story and letting people behind the curtain, it's actually the most accepted you will ever feel. It is actually the biggest worth and like high you will ever experience just being honest with who you are. You know, I go into these huge meetings with people I have admired most of my life. Like I'm, you know, getting ready to direct my next film. And there are stars that I have admired since I was young that I am now meeting with. And I sit there and it's terrifying at sometimes, you know, and I literally always have to repeat to myself, like all you can be is you. If they connect with that, great. If they don't, they're not your people. You will find your people. And that's, that's all you can do. Pretending to be anything else is the quickest recipe for being miserable. <laughs> I think pretending to be anything else is, is also the quickest recipe for self-destruction. Yeah. You know, when you think That's about true. it, wow. Amazing. Which is probably why my twenties look exactly like they did because I was being anything but me. <laughs> and now you're being you and you're seeing the benefits of just being free. And it's an, it's amazing. Um, as, as the, uh, the quote goes, the truth shall set you free. Yeah, I, I think it always does. All right, last question, Nadine, that will wrap this up with a nice little bow and a, and, a, and a cherry on top. What is next for you, Nadine Crocker? What is next for me? Um, it's always an adventure in filmmaking. At this moment, I should be leaving any time to... Um, direct my next film, which is called Desperation Road. It's based on a best-selling novel by Michael Ferris Smith. And it is an amazing book and script. And I am getting to work with some of my favorite human beings and I cannot wait to do it. Um, and then at the top of 2023, um, we are, uh, we're casting right now, but our hopes is to be filming another project, Hallow, which I, um, I, was able to do a rewrite, um, page one rewrite, and has basically become one of my new babies that I love so much, which is actually all about childhood trauma and um, and the long-term effects of that trauma and the unraveling it can cause and uh, the battles with addiction and all uh, everything that can come with it, all, uh, all wrapped around um, sexual assault and you know, that trauma when you are that childhood trauma. So um, once again, my entire mission for being on this planet and for making films is to try and shine a light on topics that I believe need to be talked about and amplifying voices that I think need to be heard. So, you know, that's, that's my mission. That's where I continue to hope to go and continue is going to be, um, uh, coming to select theaters and also VOD everywhere very soon. We're in the middle of negotiating distribution. So we're like really, really close and everyone will get to see the film. Um, but until then we have August 20th and the 22nd, we will be um, in San Jose for Cinequest Film Festival too. So you can get tickets and you can come meet us, the filmmakers and all the people who helped me make it possible. And we'll be doing the Q&A and everything after. So that'll be fun. <laughs> amazing, amazing, Nadine. So exciting. Uh, wishing you and your husband 
and your whole family the best. Always uh, love the work you do. Uh, love getting to know you more on this podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and from my gut for, for coming on the Hindsights podcast. I'm eternally grateful. Wishing you a great day. Be here tomorrow and every day after that. And that goes for every person listening and watching today. Give yourself the time you need to heal. Forgive yourself for your past issues and transgressions. Recognize that you are beautiful just the way you are. And you're 1,000 times greater than the worst thing you've ever done. And be here tomorrow and every day after that. Bye, Nadine. Bye, Hindsight's listeners. Take care, be well, and be here tomorrow. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to kevinhindstory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on youtube.com slash kevinhines.